I am excited to start a new ser- series with you this morning. And I come to you almost with a, a, a sense of heaviness and reverence because I believe that this series is one of those that within this series, there's going to be some things that we're going to do that are going to make an impact and leave a reminder in your life forever. And the title of this series is called Entrusted. And we're going to be looking at stewarding the resources that God has placed inside of our life. You have to understand something, and I have to understand something, that God has brought things into our life that he has entrusted us with. He has put his faith and his hope in us that we are going to steward the resources that he has brought us very well. Now, the thing that I understand is that a lot of us are not naturally good stewards. And if you've ever been around rednecks, you know that they're really bad. Have you ever seen a redneck when he gets money? Okay, he's going to do something stupid with it. Uh, speaking of golf, I've, I've, I've probably told you this before. When I was working in, in Western Oklahoma, the oil field was just booming. I mean, money was flowing. Guys making $30, $40 an hour. And you give a redneck $30, $40 an hour, you know what he's going to do? He's going to put mud tires on his golf cart. I kid you not. You would go golfing. You would see these golf carts that have like custom paint jobs with flames on the side of them with mud tires that have stereos in them, and they can't swing a golf club to save their life. What happened? You gave a redneck money. That's what happened. I remember there was a few people that were driving around with El Caminos jacked up with mud tires. I don't know what it is with rednecks and money. You give him money, he's going to buy mud tires. That's not very good stewardship. I'm just going to be honest with you. Your El Camino does not need mud tires, and your my golf cart probably needs mud tires, but most people's mud, uh, golf cart doesn't need mud tires. What's going on? They're not stewarding their money very well. So why would we talk about stewardship? It's important to understand that within God's intended purpose for humanity, he intends to partner with us to bring his kingdom come to pass. And so to set this entire series up, I want to read you a passage of scripture that I want you to keep in the back of your mind for all the weeks of this series. And then we're going to dive into our specific scripture today. But Genesis 1, starting verse 26 through 28, says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything that lives on the earth. Here's what we need to catch from this passage. From the very beginning of creation, God intended for humans to have dominion or to have stewardship with the creation that God made. God entrusted his creation to humanity. He created us in his image and his likeness. And after doing all of his work on six days, he looked at Adam and he said, you are responsible to steward my creation. I am entrusting this creation to you. So this is a very high calling for us. Every one of us are entrusted with certain things in life that we are called to steward. 
Now, this series is going to be very theologically deep on the front end and very practically deep on the back end. On the first two sermons of this series, we're going to be talking about the theological approach to generosity. On the back side of this, we're going to be talking practically about how to steward and manage the resources that God has brought into our life. And so the sermon today is entitled this, Generosity is a Response to the Cross. And I want to jump straight into my passage for this, series, for this sermon in 2 Corinthians chapter number number eight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Second Corinthians chapter number eight, and we're going to start in verse number one. The scripture says this, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they give according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over and whoever gathers little had no lack. Have you ever had someone be generous to you and you wish that they hadn't been generous? As a youth pastor, this used to be a, just a terrible plague upon the church. You'd have somebody who would call up the youth pastor and say, hey, look, I want to bless the youth group. And you'd say, praise God, I'm excited. They're like, hey, I want to give the youth group something. You're like, this ain't good. <laughs> We have this couch that my wife and I bought. Now, they've been married 30 years. We bought it our first year of marriage, and it's a great couch. We've loved it. The spring is popped out, but a little duct tape on that thing is going to put it right back in there. I know the dog wet on one end every week, but it's okay because we, you know, we sprayed some cleaner on it. This is a fine couch, and I want to gift it to the youth because I love the youth group so much. How many of you have ever worked in youth ministry and you had a call like that? Or is it just me? Okay, thanks, Greg. So this happens from time to time. I'm like, you're not trying to be generous to me. You're trying to make me your garbage man because you bought a new couch and you don't want me to carry it out. That's not generosity. That's not generosity. Generosity is giving of yourself according to this verse. 
I think one of the coolest things about being a parent is watching your kid grow up and being sensitive to the needs of other people. As I've watched my son grow up, I've watched him start to get, get generous, and he started to allow the concept of generosity to sink into his heart. He desires to be generous towards other people, to buy them presents, and to give them things that they need. And as I watched him, I asked him, I said, why do you do that? And he said, because I've watched other people do it in my life. And that touched me because what that shows me is that my son has watched other people be generous to him, and he's watched other people be generous to one another, and he has learned how to respond in generosity by the example that's set before him. And here's what we need to understand. What the scripture is telling us is that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has been generous to us, and now we are to reciprocate that generosity to other people that we come in contact with. And that's the big idea of this message. Generosity is always a response response of the cross of Christ. Giving is never about getting God to do something for you. Rather, giving is always about a response to what God has done and given in your life. And so today, I want to spend a few minutes in this passage of Scripture, walking through it and showing you some things about how we are to be generous towards our neighbor. And the first thing I want to show you is this. Generosity flows from a healthy spiritual condition. You will never be generous generous until you are spiritually healthy in your own life. Verse 1 and 2 said this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Giving is always about what the grace of God has done in your life. Giving is never about your financial condition. It's never about what you have in the storeroom. It's not about the stuff that you have acquired. Generosity is always based on the spiritual condition of your heart. Jesus was standing there one day looking as people came and they were throwing money in the offering plate. The religious leaders would come by. They'd make a big deal of their throwing their their few dollars into the offering plate. They'd ring bells. They'd make a big show. And yet a widow came along and she threw two pennies in there. And Jesus said, this woman has given more than everyone else because she gave out of her need. And what Jesus taught us in that moment is that generosity is never about the amount. It's never about what you do. Generosity is always about your spiritual condition and the heart behind it. In other words, I make the decision to be generous to others, not because I have money left over, but I make the decision to be generous to my neighbor because I have experienced the grace and the benevolence of God in my life. Therefore, I want other people to experience this grace tangibly through my giving to them. Apparently, the church in Corinth had lost their desires to give to the needs of others. The giving that Paul is speaking about is a collection that was being taken up in the Gentile world to be distributed amongst the Christians in Jerusalem because they were under extreme hardship. So this, these churches, they were, they were doing well. They were affluent, and they were taking up offerings to send them to some brothers and sisters in a whole other part of the world that they would never meet that were in need. And it would 
would appear that the Corinthian church had made a decision to partner with Paul in helping the needs of these people, but now they are failing to live up to the commitment. And so Paul uses another church in another reason, he, in another region. He uses the Macedonian church as a teaching moment for the type of heart and the attitude that flows from generosity. Apparently, the church in Macedonia, a different region, was suffering extreme poverty and persecution, yet they had faith. Their physical condition was not defining decision maker for their generosity. These people were in need, they were suffering poverty, and yet, according to what Paul said, they gave freely. Their poverty was not impeding their giving, and their tribulation was not impeding the joy that they had in their heart through their giving. And so Paul uses them as an example. These believers in Macedonia understood the consequences of their giving. Their giving was not to have a bigger church. Their giving was not to have recognition. Rather, their giving was to bless their neighbor. And for that reason, they gave generously. This giving was, that Paul was speaking of was out of the love that they had for Jesus to see lives changed that they would never meet on this side of heaven. Dr. Sam Storm said of generosity, just as the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized Christian or a churchless Christian, so too the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who does not give faithfully and generously to the work of God. And here's the principle for us. If you are constantly seeing your brothers and sisters in need or constantly seeing people in the community in need and you have no desire to contribute to meet that need or their lack of desire should be an indicator that you need to experience the love of Christ in a new and powerful way. Because if you have experienced the love of Christ and the benevolence of Christ, it causes you to want to reciprocate that to other people. The second thing I want to show you in this passage is this, is giving is always directed to God and never towards men. Verse 3 through 5 says this, speaking of the Macedonian church, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice that the Macedonian church begged to give to the people that were in need. And what Paul said is that they didn't just give what they had. They gave an abundance beyond what they had. They gave out of their need themselves. They were in need. Why? Because they experienced the grace of God and they gave themselves first to the Lord. You can always tell who has your heart by what you're investing your money into. Money has a weird way of touching every single aspect of our life. It's how you buy food. It's how you put a roof over your head. It's how you pay for the needs of your children. The finances touch everything. And what Paul was saying is that these people gave first to the Lord. They gave their first things to the work of Christ. Why? Because they understood what Christ had done. This attitude of generosity had nothing to do with Paul. It had nothing to do with man. This generosity was giving to the Lord. And I think this teaches us something. When you give, it should never be under impulse out of guilt. Giving should never be under impulse because someone's pressuring you. My advice to you is this. Don't ever feel pressured to give. Don't let a pastor, don't let myself, don't let someone standing on a platform ever press you and pressure you into giving. Rather, we give under conviction 
to the Lord. First, give yourself to the Lord. Why should this be your attitude? For several reasons. First, because the Lord is your provider and your supply. He brings resources into your life that you're to steward. And so we should use those and steward them as he directs us to. Second, just because someone says that they're a pastor or they're standing on a platform doesn't mean that their cause is worth championing. Some people are fleecing other people. And you shouldn't be able to feel pressured. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Shouldn't we be generous? Absolutely. We should be extravagant in our generosity. I know in my own experience that God has called Charity and I from time to time to give in a way that stretches us financially. I mean, there's been times that the Lord has laid stuff on our heart, and I'm thinking, God, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. And let me tell you something. When you get to that point, you're not giving to a man. You're giving because God's laid it on your heart. There's been moments where God's called us to do something, and I say, Lord, I don't see a way, and he makes a way. And I learn about his provision and his providence in that moment. And let me tell you something. In those moments, the, the organization, the person standing on the platform, they mean nothing in those moments. It's between you and the Lord. That's why we have a practice around here that we don't look at giving and offerings. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Only you can see the heart. And you're not giving to me. You're not giving to Brother Loki. You're not giving to anybody on staff. You're giving to the Lord when you give to this church. When you give to your neighbor, you're giving first to the Lord. You're not giving to your neighbor that's in need. When you see somebody in need on the street and God prompts your heart to give them 100 bucks, you're not giving the money specifically to them. You're giving to the Lord. You're practicing extravagant generosity because God has done something in your own life. Now, very closely tied to this is the third thing I want to show you out of this verse, which is very interesting. And Paul makes a little side note here that we should catch on to. And I think it's a practical thing that I want to pull out of this passage. Third thing is this. Giving should be to organizations that are fiscally responsible. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, why did he put this in here? Well, Paul is giving us a peek behind the curtain to the financial operation of the giving project. Titus was the, the minister who worked with Paul that is responsible for making sure that this money went from uh, Corinth to Jerusalem. He's referenced later in this chapter, starting verse number 16, I want to read it to you. But thanks be to God, who put in the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest in his going out in his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching the gospel. Not only that... But he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ for himself to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim that what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who are now earnest even with great confidence in you. You'll notice some very interesting points here. Paul says that when he's receiving this gift, that he's putting some responsible men over this gift so that no one can question if it's going where it needs to go. Basically, what Paul's saying is that we are being fiscally responsible. This man is responsible. He's been earnest in many matters, and now he's being earnest in this matter. And so you can trust him. 
Why is this important? Why did Paul make this case? Because according to verse number 19, giving is for the glory of the Lord. And so when men mishandle God's money, they're stealing glory from Jesus. I want you to think about that for a moment. When men are mishandling God's money, they're stealing glory from Jesus. So God forbid that we ever do that here at this church. But I will tell you this. If you ever catch us mishandling God's money, then you need to find a new church to give to. Why? Because you, don't want, you are responsible for what is given to you. I had a pastor tell me one time when I first got into this a couple years ago, he was a missionary, and he told me, he said, you are responsible for every organization that you send money to as J First Assembly. He said, it doesn't matter if they say that they're doing God's work or not. You're responsible to make sure that they are because he said people are given to your church and then you're send that off to missionaries. He said, you are responsible for making sure that you're investing people's money in a place that's actually growing the kingdom. So we're responsible for what God has brought in our life. Even though we're called to be generous, we're responsible to make sure that it's going places that are accurately handling the money. So, is J First Assembly being responsible? I believe so. And I can assure you that our aim as a church and as a board and myself personally is to do everything we can to be responsible with what God has brought us. We're not going to bat a thousand. I can promise you that. We're going to make mistakes. However, we do everything we can to fix mistakes when they come to our attention. And we're going to keep doing that as the Lord has brought to our attention. Fourth thing I want to show you is this. Generosity is not optional for the life of a believer because Christ was generous to us. Verse 7 through 10 says this. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I'm not, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now finish doing it well. I've always been away, blown away by people's generosities. You know, we talk about the world getting more and more greedy. And there are a lot of people who are greedy in the world. But it's been my observation that God's people are getting more and more generous. Have you ever had a brother or sister just bless you randomly out of nowhere? Raise your hand. I want you to look, keep your hands up for a second. Look around. We have been blessed by our brothers and sisters. And I don't know what that's like for you, but every time someone blesses me in that way, it reminds me of what Christ did in my own life. It's a tangible moment. It's a tangible moment to see how someone has sacrificed for you. And what this verse is telling us is that Jesus was rich, and he draws a line, and he's saying, he said, look, Jesus was rich, and yet for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. We are rich today because Jesus exchanged his riches for our poverty. And then he took our poverty and gave us his riches. That's so beautiful to see. How many of you have ever seen the movie Brewster's Millionaire? Have you ever seen that movie? It's an old movie. It's back in the 80s. Okay, thanks, Jeff. One person has seen the movie. Basically, what happened in this movie is that he's a guy who is poor. He doesn't have anything, and he has a rich uncle that dies, and the rich uncle is going to leave him millions of dollars if Brewster can take $1 million and spend it in like a week and not have any assets left. And what he's able to figure it out, and he goes from being rich to poor overnight, just like that. And every time I see that movie, that's exactly what Christ did in our life. We were dork poor. We had nothing. We were in 
debt. We were broke as a joke. And in a moment, Christ took us and he took our poverty and he gave us his riches. That's what the gospel message does. According to verse eight, generosity is a test to see if you've experienced Christ's genuineness in his own life. I want to read you verse eight again. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What Paul's saying is you can tell by how we interact with other people through our giving of ourselves to them what Christ has really done in our own life. It's a test. He doesn't say it's a command. He says it's a test. It's not optional in our life. If you're commanded to give and you're guilted into giving, that's not generosity. That's compulsion. But when you understand what Jesus has done, it changes how you approach it. Fifth and finally, generosity is always in proportion to your ability. Verse 13 through 15 says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and that you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. We need to understand these verses and we need to understand Paul's second letter to Corinthians is really framed by his first letter to Corinthians. And I want to read that to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, starting verse number one, it says this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of each week, each of you are to put aside and store up that as he may prosper so that there is no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you are accredited by the letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. According to this passage, generosity takes planning, and the apostles didn't want anybody to be overburdened. Whenever when everyone has shared and is generous as the Lord directs, and then all the needs of every person is met. He's saying, look, if you will plan and you will be able to prepare for your generous needs, then when time comes, you'll be able to meet those needs and not be overburdened. He's saying, I'm not asking you to give beyond what you have. He says, I'm not asking you to give in such a way that steals food from your family or that doesn't able to supply your own needs. He said, but if you plan this out, then you're able to be generous when you see someone else is in need. And that's a good practice for all of us. If we intend to be people who are generous, where if we're walking through the, the grocery line and there's somebody in front of us and we see that they need some help with their groceries and we want to meet that, then we're going to have to plan and budget accordingly for that to happen in our own life. We will never be able to be generous in our own life until we have properly planned and budgeted in our own life. And what Paul's trying to get us to see here is that we need to plan accordingly if we plan on being generous people. Now, if you've ever had that experience where you have blessed someone randomly, you know that joy will stick in your heart and you'll want to do that time and time again. It's one of the greatest feelings you can ever do to randomly bless someone that you come in contact with and tell them this is in the name of Jesus. But that only can happen if you properly plan for it. Now, I want to close with this. Charity, if you want to come back, worship team, you can stay where you My closing is going to be short because this is really a part one and part two message. And here's what I want you to zone in for a second. Now, why have I talked to you? about the process of giving. Why have I talked to you about the process of giving? I think the question needs to be asked is this. Why was Paul teaching this church about generosity? And the answer is very simple. Because he saw firsthand 
the effects of extravagant generosity. Let me read it to you. See, Paul started in Jerusalem. That's where he was there when he was persecuting Christians. And he saw how these people treated one another. Even though he was persecuting them, he saw how they treated one another. And in Acts chapter number four, we get a picture of the generosity of the first church. In verse 32, it says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. Meaning people didn't, they didn't hoard their stuff. If they had a brother or sister who needed something, hey, just go take it, borrow it, whatever you need. And great power was with the apostles and were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was given sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, even though Paul wasn't a Christian at this point, he saw what the church was doing. And he saw that these people who were poor at one time being persecuted would take and they'd give up their stuff to help their brothers and sisters in need. Barnabas is just one of the examples. He had a field apparently that he didn't need and he would sell it and he brought so that he could meet the needs of his brothers and his sisters. It was extravagant giving. It was extravagant generosity. So when Paul's writing to this church in in Corinth, he's saying, look, when you are living this out in your own life, there's going to be extravagant generosity that's going to meet the needs of every person that you're around. This is something that you need to do. It's something you need to apply to your own life. Now, church, I want to challenge you with something. And this is going to be very vague at the end of this message. The altar call for this message is actually next week. Because we're going to practice extravagant generosity next week. And this verse I just read to you, it talked about people who had need within the church. And the church rallied around them and they provided their need. Now, I promise you next Sunday is a day that you're not going to forget. You might remember, I've only talked about finances twice since I've been here. This being the second time. But you might remember the first time I told you to get ready for the next week. It was pretty cool. How many was here the day that we blessed the pizza driver? How many of you, like, that's something you remember? Yeah, that was a cool day. Next week, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now what, how expensive it's going to be. It's going to be $10,000. We have a need in our church. Nobody knows about it. It's an individual that has a need. I can't tell you about it today. But I promise you, I promise you, if you'll take everything we talked about today, and you'll look at your own life and just pray. Say, God, what would you have me to do? I know you don't know the need right now, but trust me, you're going to want to participate in this. You're going to want to participate in this moment. Why? Because Christ came poor for you, and now you are rich in him. 
Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, well, I have a need in my own life. You know what's interesting is I have a need too. If you have a financial need in your life right now, raise your hand. Okay, everybody keep it up. Look around. We all have a need. We all have a need. I doubt there's one person in this room that is so flush with cash that they say, you know what? I don't need a thing. You know why that is? Because as we make more money, we tend to spend more money, right? I mean, be honest with you. You got that stimulus check. You blew every dime of it. All right? We all have needs. Your need might be bigger than the need that we're about to meet next week. Well, hey, Austin, can I come put my name in the hat? Can we have an offering the week after that? No. (laughs) No, that's not how this is going to work. But our example out of Scripture is this Macedonian church that was in poverty. And they gave out their poverty for people that they never met. My heart, at the beginning of the year when I was praying, a lot of you came to the business meeting. We played a video and there was a few things I said in there. And I said, this year we're going to do three things. We're going to baptize 40 people and I'm praying that we're going to see 40 people baptized. Get your lost loved ones here, your lost neighbors, your lost friends. Let's win them them Jesus, get them baptized. We're going to practice organic relationships that lead to discipleship. That's why you need to be at the sisterhood brunch. That's why you need to go to the coalition night at the top golf. The third thing is I said we're going to be people who are extravagantly generous because Christ is being extravagantly generous to us. And I promise you that Charity and I are going to lead the way on this. And I want to encourage you to pray this week, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? It will change your heart. It will change your life to practice the giving.